0: Hi, and welcome to our show, Forever Paranormal, with your host, Dr. Bill and Ed, where we will discuss such things as cryptids, UFOs, hauntings, angels, unsolved mysteries, government conspiracies and cover-ups, witchcraft, the metaphysical, and more, as well as stories sent in by you, our listeners. If we can connect a paranormal element to it, we'll talk about it. And you may be surprised by what all is connected to the paranormal. Please don't forget to follow, rate, and share the show, since it would not be possible without you, our listeners. And as a public service, we would like to let everyone know that you are truly never alone, even if you think you are. The Suicide and Crisis Lifeline is 988-Just-Reach-Out. Hi, Deb. Hi. Uh, I hope you've had a good week so far.
1: I have. Thank you.
0: Well, that's good. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode, which, if you remember, is actually a continuation of last week's with how Neanderthal man and Sasquatch may be tied together. Once you start comparing the similarities between them, could this possibly be a reason for a cover-up? Are they another offshoot in our evolution? Another distinct relative. A man named Danny Vendramini, a non-academic, released a book called Them and Us, based on his 2019 theory that puts Neanderthals as a separate species than what we know today as human. This is a radical reassessment of Neanderthal behavioral ecology.
1: May, May I ask a question? Yeah. What qualifies him?
0: He's a a non-academic. His qualifications are research and study. I see. Um, There's a lot of archaeological evidence and stuff. Okay. This is a radical assessment of Neanderthal behavioral ecology. He cites new archaeological and genetic evidence to show they weren't docile omnivores, but savage, cannibalistic carnivores. The apex, bipedal, Predators of the Stone Age. Anybody can go research papers and draw theories and conclusions on them. Mm -hmm. So that's what he's done.
1: But who validates that research?
0: We'll find out.
1: No, I mean, in general, say I went out and researched this, who's going to say? He's not looking at your
0: research. He's looking at academic research. He's looking at genetic studies. He's looking at paleontologist studies. He's not looking at something that somebody just wrote. He's he's looking at academic studies. He's just a non-academic. Okay. A major point of Vendramini's 2009 theory is that Eurasian Neanderthals abducted and interbred with early humans in the Middle East. This was actually confirmed in 2010 by the publication of the draft sequence of the Neanderthal Genome which showed that Neanderthals had interbred with early humans from the Middle East at precisely the time that Vendramini theorized. Every human except 100% African has some Neanderthal DNA. So let's take this farther down the rabbit hole. If Neanderthal man is a separate evolutionary offshoot of modern man, then this offshoot could have led to another. And in fact, it does, as we will see.
1: What is the context when you say 100% African?
0: I'm assuming that they originated 100% in Africa, and they weren't mixed with any other things. That's what all the papers refer to it as, 100% African. Okay. Let's listen to and discuss some experts from his YouTube video about his book, keeping in mind that the original audio that I have gotten is not all that great. Okay?
1: This is the current accepted view of what Neanderthals look like. A
2: bit hairy than us, and with a larger nose and thicker brow ridges. But apart from that, they're unquestionably human. In fact, it's been said that if you gave a Neanderthal a shave, a haircut, and dressed him up in a nice suit, he could easily attend Harvard, although he'd need rich parents. There's a couple of things wrong with this picture. First, it's not based on any sound archaeological evidence. That's because soft tissue features like skin, hair, colour and eyeballs are not preserved in the fossil record. The other reason is that after studying Neanderthals for 10 years, I'm convinced they look nothing like this at all. There's a reason why all these forensic reconstructions end up looking like humans, and it's got nothing to do with science. I think it's about anthropomorphism. That's our tendency to attribute human characteristics to other animals. It seems to be part of human nature. We assume that because we've got smooth skin, protruding noses, clear eye whites and full lips, then Neanderthals did too. And just because we lost our body hair, we assume they did as well.
0: Well, you know, hair actually does show up in fossil records, but we won't hold that against him because we know he's not academic. And this may also be suggesting that they are covered with hair, but, you know, they did have the ability to make clothing, fire, tools, things like that. And when it comes to reconstruction, there is no scientific test method to show us what the nose, the skin, the lips would look like.
2: There's also a fundamental flaw in the technique used to reconstruct Neanderthal faces from their skulls. Now this forensic process works fine on humans, but that's because we know the shape and position of our noses, ears and lips. We know the thickness and texture of our skin, and we know the shape and size of our eyeballs. These soft tissue features are unique to humans. You would never use them to reconstruct the face of a chimpanzee or gorilla. And yet scientists always use human facial characteristics and dimensions to reconstruct Neanderthal faces. So it's inevitable that you end up with something that looks like a human. Television documentaries often use actors to portray Neanderthals. This involves hours and hours of meticulous makeup which the producers assure us is 100% anatomically accurate.
1: But it's not. And one reason is that Neanderthal eyes were in a
2: different position in their skulls compared to humans. They were higher up, about where our foreheads are. And judging by the size of their orbits, or eye sockets, Their eyes were also considerably larger as well. This is a Neanderthal skull. It's got a protruding face, large eye sockets, and very prominent brow ridges. Compared to a human skull, it's quite different.
0: Okay, so they really don't look like us with higher set, much larger eyes, a large brow ridge, more primate looking like, but with human features, it's kind of starting to sound like something, isn't it, Deb?
1: Yeah, if you're if you're going the big Bigfoot, Bigfoot Avenue. Yeah. But isn't there? I mean, long ago it was said, you know, everyone thinks Neanderthals are so big and tall, but there's been research to say they're also short and stocky. So what's the current? Uh, premise out there, or current facts about what they actually are?
0: I don't think there are true facts of they were this or that. I think that in different regions of the world where they're found, whether they're found in the northern climates or the Middle Eastern climates, they were different sizes, mm-hmm. different heights, this and that, just like we are. But they had stronger bones, bigger bones, heavier structures than the humans had. They were much more adept at being a human predator than humans were. Okay.
2: Actually, once you get rid of all the anthropomorphic bias and the inherent flaws in the reconstruction technology, answering this question is not particularly difficult. And that's because ultimately, Neanderthals were members of the order of primates. They were primates. And as such, you would expect them to maintain the appearance of primates. The fact that humans no longer look like their primate ancestors is, I believe, due to completely unique ecological and environmental circumstances, which I describe in my book. These circumstances certainly didn't apply to Neanderthals. So in light of that, you would expect them to maintain the appearance of a tall, bipedal primate.
0: Okay, so they are tall, bipedal primates. This is sounding more and more like the big guy, in my opinion. They are from the Cold Ice Age North, where they, were, but were they really hairless or covered with hair, like all the animals at that time? Or did they make their own clothing? Like, I don't know, Paris?
2: In Africa, where humans evolved, there was a wide range of prey species that could be hunted. There was also an endless variety of edible plants, fruits, berries, nuts, fungi, and even shellfish by comparison in ice age europe where neanderthals evolved there are only about five or six edible plants and those that did grow there were of such low nutritional value they weren't worth the time and effort to harvest this i believe forced neanderthals to abandon their ancestral omnivore eat anything diet that they acquired from africa and adopt an exclusive carnivorous diet
1: in other words, they stopped being hunter gatherers and became exclusive
2: hunters.
0: Alright, so now we know they had limited food types and uh, became meat eaters according to his theory. They became solid hunters. You gotta remember they did, they did use spears and they did have weapons, and even knew how to make fire. And archaeologically they have been proven to be cannibals.
1: So It's starting to sound like they were quite intelligent like humans and like Bigfoot is supposedly. Um, So why are they always made out to be caveman-like?
0: I don't know. That's a good question. But they did know how to do a lot of things that a typical early caveman couldn't have done. Hmm.
2: My theory that Neanderthals were flesh-eating predators is supported by new molecular analysis of their teeth enamel. This reveals that the Neanderthal diet consisted of 99% meat. In fact, that's all they ate. And there's only one way to get that much fresh meat, and that's by hunting the meat came from. That's because we now know that Neanderthals were cannibals. My predator theory also explains why Neanderthals were so much stronger than humans. Their muscles were so large they had to have extra thick bones to take the strain. It's been estimated that Neanderthals were six times stronger than humans. Even a Neanderthal child could toss a human adult around like a rag doll. Neanderthals were unquestionably the smartest animal in Europe at the time. They mastered fire making, they constructed windbreaks. They made tools and weapons, including razor-sharp thrusting spears. And like other social predators, they hunted in packs and used sophisticated ambush tactics to maximise capture rates. But there's one last adaptation that helped transform Neanderthals into such a formidable killing machine. The dark. The vast majority of land-based predators hunt at night because it's easier to catch prey when they're resting or asleep. This theory predicts that Neanderthals acquired larger night vision eyes and pupils to see in the dark. These kinds of eyes reflect light extremely efficiently. It would explain why Neanderthals had such enormous eye sockets.
0: Okay, so one thing I've noticed is he keeps calling them animals because he mm-hmm. refers to them as a line of primate. Okay, so they're animals, beasts, whatever. That could explain why they're six times stronger than humans, you know, which is another comparison to the big guy, you know, that, that one with the Bigfoot. Mm. It's another comparison to him. And let's look at their intelligence levels. It's said that Bigfoot uses ambush techniques to hunt and this and that. You know, he said that, yeah, they're pack hunters, but the worst pack hunter on the face of this planet still remains man. We're the worst pack hunter of them all. We kill everything we don't agree with, wars, whatever. And then he talks about the larger eyes and this and that and developing, you know, for night vision and stuff. That could be.
1: But humans are not killing necessarily for survival anymore.
0: We're just killing to kill. Yeah. We're the worst pack hunters that there are.
1: I guess that's why you say that. Yes. That's sad.
0: Yes.
2: Now, living there at the time was a group of ancestral humans. These were timid Stone Age hominids who moved up from Africa and the evidence suggests that the Neanderthals began hunting them, but not just for food. I believe that Neanderthal males also began hunting human females for sex. Now this horrific period of sexual and cannibalistic predation went on for in excess of 50,000 years. It's this and only this scenario that explains why the 2010 draft sequence of the Neanderthal genome found categorically that Neanderthals had interbred with humans.
0: So what he's talking about is when Neanderthals started to migrate into the Middle East, which is now being proven by archaeological evidence. And um, he's talking about they were hunting humans for sex and food. And we know from the reports now that Neanderthal males have no Y chromosome, so it seemed that it would work well one way, but not the other when they made it with humans. So it could explain some different things about why it went after one sex versus the other. Or why Neanderthal finally fell out because no Y chromosomes, they weren't creating males.
1: And they weren't evolving like
0: humans. They weren't (laughs) evolving and they weren't creating males.
1: My
2: research indicates that the only humans to survive were those born with modern human adaptations, things like high intelligence, creativity, language, and aggression. This allowed them to turn the tables on the Neanderthals. For the next 20,000 years, they hunted them to extinction. So the basic premise of my book is that everything we are today, everything that defines us as humans is the result of that extraordinary 70,000 year conflict between them and us.
0: This may explain a story from Russia in 1850 of Zena, who they called the Neanderthal woman. What they saw appeared to be human and yet not human. It seemed to be a young female with ape-like features. Her arms, legs and fingers were unusually thick. Her bosom was described as massive and she was covered with thick, dark hair. She was also said to be absolutely ferocious. Nevertheless, the hunters managed to capture her alive and brought her to the isolated mountain village of Tanika, 50 miles from Sukuma, where she was given to a nobleman called Ejiganaba. It is said, though, she became somewhat domesticated and still remained most of her wild side, but it is also said that she was given wine and taken advantage of many times, giving birth to hybrid offspring, most of which died. The last surviving child was a man named Quit, who died in 1954. But was Zaina actually a leftover Neanderthal found in 1850? Or was she possibly an Alma, which is the Russian version of a Sasquatch? Or was she?
1: a hybrid
0: she could have been a third line right, the mm-hmm. Alma which could could be a third line Th- there's a whole other story about Zena mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's, it's, it's a big long drawn out thing and it goes into the abuse that they put her under and this and that and and she killed a lot of her own children when they were born because she would take them down to the cold rivers and wash them mm-hmm. and only several of them survived that because they weren't used to the cold weather, instead said that she dug holes in the ground to sleep, and you know would lay in the cold water and stuff. Because she'd like really liked the cold water, cold weather. So there's a whole another story there. Mm-hmm. Now, by looking a little deeper into this rabbit hole, with the use of newer scientific techniques on the study of DNA and paleontology, we can start to see where Vandermini's highly ridiculed theory may be starting to gain some traction. A femur was discovered in a cave in Germany, and a team of scientists led by Max Planck Institute for the Scientific of Human History and the University of Tübingen in Germany used the DNA from the femur's mitochondria to determine its relationship to other Neanderthals and modern humans.
1: May I ask a question? Sure. Because I don't have an advanced degree like many people. What is mitochondria?
0: mitochondria? Mitochondria is like our cell's batteries. It contains a set of genes separate from the DNA bunched up inside our nucleus. Some mitochondria DNA mutates in a fairly predictable conserved fashion, which we can measure and map its mutations to get a good idea of when two populations last shared them. Differences between our mitochondria genes suggest we at least shared a common ancestor a little over 400,000 years ago, though previous studies under nuclear DNA testing had estimated a split as far back as nearly 800,000 years ago. Another group of human cousins dubbed the Netsilvians also split off from a group of Neanderthals roughly 400,000 to 450,000 years ago, before they went wandering the Earth. The thing to note is the Denisovans' nuclear DNA that matches Neanderthals' DNA is more than ours, which makes sense since Denisovians probably split off from Neanderthals' population. Apparently, the Denisovians are a lost group of human-like bipedal cousins of ours. Huh, more to think about in relationship to the big guy. <laughs> oh, boy. We know from Neanderthal remains found in Shanidar, Iraq, that there is evidence that even Neanderthals took care of their wounded and maimed relatives. As it's obvious they were unable to fend for themselves, and due to the time differences between the ages of the recovered bones, we know they buried their dead. It's been speculated is why we can't find Sasquatch bodies in the woods. They bury their dead, but you know this. Sandadar study was really big, and they named them one, two, three, and four because there was like 10,000 years separating some of them. And one one was maybe 40 years old and completely crippled up from some kind of accident. You can see where he lost half his arm and this and that. There's no way that guy could take a spear and hunt his own food. So they had to take care of each other.
1: So maybe. somebody else just killed him and buried him? Or they waited for him to die?
0: They waited for him to die because the pain by paleontology they were able to discover and, and tell that a lot of those wounds were old and they healed mm-hmm. you know, so he lived 40 years old which is really a long time for them so somebody took care of him now let's talk about a, talk quick about a highly disputed DNA study that was performed by Dr. Melba Ketchum the findings of this study have been said to fail peer reviews by Academia It seems like it's mostly based on how the hair evidence was gained, obtained by all the different people. And it could have been convoluted, it could have been this, could have been that. Sounds
1: like when police don't follow their own rules and do follow the law for getting evidence kind of thing.
0: Well, I, I think it has to do with she took evidence from a lot of different people. All the different Bigfoot researchers and hunters around the world and stuff sent them hair samples and stuff like that because that's what they did the DNA study on. So she took a whole batch of it, you know, because they weren't able to say exactly that this one's Mm -hmm. collected the right way. That one's collected properly. That's why it failed the peer research on a lot of it Mm -hmm. because they were being too anal with each other. mm -hmm. which You know, they call it pseudoscience so on and so forth. She was really respected. Here's part of the original release on the research paper by Dr. Ketchum. A team of scientists can verify that their five-year-long DNA study, currently under peer review, confirms the existence of a novel hominin hybrid species, commonly called Bigfoot or Sasquatch, living in North America. Researchers' extensive DNA sequencing suggests that the legendary Sasquatch is a human relative that arose approximately 15,000 years ago as a hybrid cross of modern Homo sapiens with an unknown primate species. The study was conducted by a team of experts in genetics, forensics, imaging, and pathology, led by Dr. Melba S. Ketchum of Natchitoches, Texas. In response to recent interest in the study, Dr. Ketchum can confirm that her team has sequenced three complete Sasquatch nuclear genomes and determined the species is a human hybrid. Our study has sequenced 20 whole mitochondria genomes and utilized next-generation sequencing to obtain three whole nuclear genomes from purported Sasquatch samples. The genome sequencing shows that the Sasquatch mtDNA is identical to modern Homo sapiens. With Sasquatch and new DNA, is a novel, unknown hominid related to Homo sapiens and other primate species. Our data indicates that the North American Sasquatch is a hybrid species, the results of males of an unknown hominid species crossing with female Homo sapiens. The male Pregnodigator that contributes to the unknown sequence this hybrid uses in its DNA is more distantly removed from humans than any other recently discovered hominids like the Denisovan's individual, explains Ketchum. Sasquatch nuclear DNA is incredibly novel and not at all what we expected. What it has is human nuclear DNA with its genome. There are also distinctly non-human, non-archaic homin, and non-ape sequences. We describe it as a mosaic mosaic of human and novel non-human sequence. Further study is needed, and is ongoing to better characterize and understand Sasquatch nuclear DNA. Ketchum is a veterinarian whose professional experience includes 27 years of research in genetics, including forensics. Earlier in her career, she also practiced veterinary medicine, and she had previously been published as a participant in mapping the the equine genome before she began testing DNA-supported Sasquatch hair samples. Ketchum calls on public officials and law enforcement to immediately recognize Sasquatch as an indigenous people. Genetically, the Sasquatch are a human hybrid with um, uh, ambiguous modern human maternal ancestry. Government at all levels must recognize them as an indigenous people and immediately protect them and their human and constitutional constitutional rights against those those who would see their physical and cultural differences a license to hunt, trap, or kill them. All right, so that was a lot of material to cover, and it was pretty tongue-twisting, as you can tell. Um, What it basically boils down to is she says that it's not Neanderthal, and it's not Denisovian, and it's not Homo sapien, but possible third offshoot. It's a hybrid. So it could be Neanderthal mated with homo sapien women and created a race. Right? That race is Sasquatch. Bigfoot. That would explain the different DNA. In order for it to be a race, it must be able to have give birth and have offspring. It needs to multiply. That's why a mule... It's not considered a race. But we know mules exist. They're there all the time. A mule cannot breed, so therefore it's not considered its own separate species by scientific right. academia and the way they do things.
1: But have we proven that Sasquatch can or cannot breed? So,
0: well, well, they say there's living families of them, so I'm saying they can breed, so that makes them a species. Yes, by her
1: definition or what you just said, they are their own race. Right. If that's the if, the if case. they
0: if they do exist, I'm not saying mm-hmm. they do exist right. or they don't. Right. Just saying is, gives them the possibility for that. Mm-hmm. You know, but by science's thing, what she's saying in the DNA is, yeah, it can exist, and maybe the males could repopulate with human females. And that's what created this species with the Neanderthal. Mm-hmm. But it wouldn't work the other way. right? Mm-hmm. It's got to do with the Y chromosome and stuff. Mm-hmm. So maybe that created that third shoot of offspring in the line. And that's what we deal with today as Sasquatch. I see. So what do you think? Uh this give them a reason to have a government cover-up, Deb? Human cousins? What about you folks? What do you think? Let us know your thoughts. We'd love to hear what you have to say on this subject. Deb, what, what's your opinion?
1: I don't know what to think, honestly. Okay, well,
0: just keep an open mind. Yeah. I don't know if it exists or doesn't exist. Personally, I've never seen one. Um, I know that there's enough evidence out there that if I was on trial for murder, I'd be doing life three times over. But you know, they don't accept that kind of stuff,
1: Well, yeah. um, if as far as the cover up goes, there would if it were real, they would have reason to cover it up, you know as per our last podcast Correct. with all the financial and yeah. other
0: impacts exactly. Well, folks. We've uh, really extended the time a lot on this one, so we're going to go ahead and bring this episode to a close. And thank you for listening. And until the next time, when we discuss another tale yet to be told. Thank you for listening, and remember to like and share the show. We would also appreciate a five-star rating wherever possible to help new listeners find the show. We welcome all questions or comments you may have about this or any other episode. And our contact information can be found in the show notes of this episode. You can also follow us at foreverparanormal.com. And if you'd like to support us, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash foreverparanormal. The links to these are also in the show notes of this episode.